Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So, Uh, Today is going to be a solo episode. We're a little behind on our release schedule. Unfortunately, Russ and I, with our two different schedules and living in two very different time zones, do occasionally have trouble meeting up to record an episode. Uh, As much as we enjoy talking to each other and hanging out, sometimes we just can't quite make it work. Uh, Russ wasn't able to make it this week. Uh, He has some event going on with his family. It's possible that he will also not make the next recording. I'm not sure yet, but we will keep you posted, which means you'll find out when I release a solo episode again. But it is what it is. So this week I wanted to talk about something that I've always thought is really, really interesting, and not a lot of people necessarily know the origin of them or where they come from. And that specifically is something known as idioms. Now, for anyone who hasn't heard the term idiom, which is spelled I-D-I-O-M, or isn't sure what the heck I'm talking about, an idiom is defined by Merriam-Webster as an expression in the usage of a language that is peculiar to itself, either in having a meaning that cannot be derived from the conjoined meaning of its elements, or in its grammatically atypical use of words. Basically, what this translates to is an idiom is a phrase that gets used in everyday language that has a meaning we have given it, but that the words that make up the saying don't actually match up with what the meaning necessarily is. A really good example that I think most people would recognize is saying that someone is beating around the bush. If I tell you, an English speaker, assuming you speak English as your first language, that someone is beating around the bush, you're automatically going to realize that what I'm talking about is someone is taking a really long time to get to the point. They're going around in circles. They're not getting to the point. They're not, you know, being succinct with their discussion. They're taking a while. Um, Or they're taking the long way for some reason. And maybe we know why, maybe we don't. The thing is, the the origins of a lot of idioms, we don't always know exactly where they came from. But in situations like that, when someone says you're beating around the bush, you're taking a long time, it is something that we can often sort of parse out and figure out where the origin may have came from. That was bad English. Where the origin may have come from. Sorry. It's late and I'm recording solo, so we'll fix that later. But anyway... The origin of these idioms varies depending on which one it is. Some of them are based in historical events. Some of them are just sayings that came from somewhere and we kind of maybe suspect we know where, but we don't necessarily know exactly. Um, Good example, the beating around the bush. If you think about it logically and break it down, beating around a bush. So when hunters back in old England and old Europe went out with their dogs or with hunting parties, it was very common practice, especially if you were rich, to have people you paid to sort of beat the bushes around you and make a lot of noise and try to scare the game so that it would come up and run around. Nowadays, hunters will use dogs that they've trained or they have, you know, duck 
calls and things like that to try to coax animals to come out, things like that. But back in the day, if you were rich enough, you just straight up paid somebody to walk ahead of you and beat the ground to try to scare away the animals so that you could find them. Now, beating around the bush would mean that instead of just hitting the bush directly, which obviously would be quicker and more effective, you'd beat all around the edges of it. So that is one suspected origin for where that sort of an idiom may have come from. Basically, someone was taking the long way. They were doing things the hard way by not just beating the bush directly in order to try to get the birds or whatever game to come out and run around so they could be hunted. That's just one example of some of the ways that these phrases get used. Now, obviously, if you're an English speaker, or honestly, if you speak any language, there's going to be a lot of idioms that are very specific to your region, uh, things that are specific to your first language. For instance, if I went to someone in Japan and used the idiom, you know, stop beating around the bush, especially, especially if I translated it directly into the Japanese sentence of that, I would probably get some very, very strange looks because they would have no idea what I was talking about. Now, if I got my grammar right, they might be able to figure it out because that one's fairly straightforward. But there's a lot of idioms that aren't. And some of them are very strange. And today's episode is going to be me going through certain idioms and sort of breaking down what we suspect are the origins and what they mean. So if you aren't a English speaker as your first language, then some of these idioms may be good ones for you to know because they do get used, you know, fairly regularly. And if it's something that isn't needed for you to learn English, but you just find it interesting, then, you know, please keep listening and let's see where this takes us. Alrighty. Full disclosure, it is very weird recording without Russ. I've gotten very used to having someone to bounce information off of, and now I don't. So this is probably going to be a shorter episode, partly also because I don't want to lose my voice. Alrighty. So starting off with some common idioms. Um, now, I, full disclosure, I am getting this information online. I'm trying to find reputable sources. But like I said, a lot of these idioms, we don't actually know 100% where they started. In most cases, we are going to be hearing things or reading things that say we think it's this or it's possibly from this. Sort of like I said with beating around the bush. Uh, the first one is armed to the teeth. Now, this one in particular, I think, is an interesting one because if you think about it, your arms are nowhere near your teeth, assuming you are anatomically put together as the majority of the population. In addition, you don't generally put weapons in your teeth. It's not the best of ideas, especially if you, you know, want to be able to chew anything later in life because a lot of those weapons are made out of metal and will damage your teeth. Now... What it gets used for is someone who is, you know, overly prepared or overly well-equipped. In movies and stuff, it might actually be weapons. In day-to-day life, someone who's armed to the teeth for a business meeting might be someone who way over-prepared all their reports and their numbers and they know everything backwards and forwards and they're just ready to go. Well, the origin of this, or at least the most likely origin as far as people are aware, is that it probably started sometime around the 17th century dealing with pirates. Now, or other warfare in that time. A lot of us, I'm sure, have seen pirate movies where, you know, they're climbing the ropes and they've got a knife in their teeth, or they've got guns in their hands and a knife in their teeth. 
So in theory, one possible origin for this particular idiom is armed to the teeth, as in you are so weaponized that you even are carrying one in your teeth because you ran out of hands. So basically, these pirates may have been carrying, you know, a gun in each hand or a gun in a hand and a knife in the other, and they put another knife in their mouth because that way if they lose a weapon, they've got another one handy. The other thing about this is you do have to keep in mind during that time frame when this particular idiom first started to come around, it would have made a lot more sense for them to have extra weapons handy anywhere they could put it, including their mouth, because guns back then, for the most part, could only load a single shot. If you only have a single shot in your gun and you're about to go fight somebody, you know, to the death, you're going to want to have extra weapons on hand, and that might mean you carry them everywhere, including your mouth. Probably not the safest thing to do, especially depending on the kind of knife, because some knives have blades on both sides and then you could cut yourself. But, you know, they probably weren't so much thinking about that at the time. Just a thought. Another one is Another idiom is barking up the wrong tree. So this one, for anyone who isn't familiar with the term, basically refers to following a fake lead or having misguided thoughts about a situation. Another term that gets used sometimes in uh, popular media is saying that something is a red herring, as in it's a, you know, it's a false lead. It's not the real answer. Um, the origin for this phrase may go back to hunting, kind of like beating around the bush that I mentioned, um, specifically because hunting dogs will bark up a tree at creatures that they've run up the tree. The thing is, depending on how close together the trees are, sometimes the raccoon or, you know, fox or whatever it is they're chasing, the squirrel, I'm sure any dog owners out there have seen squirrels do this, they'll run up the tree your dog will continue to bark up that tree that they think the squirrel is in. Meanwhile, the squirrel goes way high up in the tree and bounces to a different one because it can jump from one to the other because the trees are close enough together. But your dog doesn't necessarily see them jumping, so they keep barking up the wrong tree. It's a pretty straightforward one on that, thankfully. Um, alrighty, let us see. So... Uh, number one, or excuse me, another one is a basket case. This one, I think it's used a lot too. You know, if someone's a basket case, they're crazy or they're just not, not able to focus, not able to do anything. They're considered useless or they can't cope. So this phrase was originally used, it's a little dark. This phrase was originally used to refer to soldiers who lost their limbs and it possibly originated back in 1919 when rumors started circulating that there were so many soldiers arriving um, injured, missing limbs, or possibly decapitated. And there were rumors circulating that the limbs of those decapitated soldiers were arriving in baskets at a hospital. At the time, Major General M.W. Ireland was the first to refer to these as basket cases in his bulletin to express that they had not seen the said baskets. So basically, especially at the time, unfortunately, back in 1919, you know, they didn't have a lot of prosthetics. They didn't have a lot of options. And especially if you were a soldier in the middle of a war, you didn't necessarily have a way to, you know, deal with your limb that had just been cut off or blasted off or anything like that. And unfortunately, during that time frame, also, there weren't a lot of jobs that could easily be done by people with only one arm or with only one leg or missing more than one of those. 
because there wasn't as much automation, there wasn't as much technology, they didn't have prosthetics, like I mentioned. And also back then, a lot more jobs required manual labor as opposed to, you know, some of the jobs we have now where, you know, perfect example is Stephen Hawking, someone who couldn't move the vast majority of his body, but he was brilliant and he was still able to be an amazing physicist because we had the technology to make it possible for him to still convey all of his thoughts and ideas and to be able to move around in his wheelchair and things like that. But back in 1919, none of that existed. So as far as the general populace was concerned, someone who lost a major limb and had those kinds of serious injuries was not necessarily completely useless, depending on how much damage they had taken, but they definitely were not as useful to society. And so that is one of the places where this originated. Uh, bite the bullet. So this one is pretty straightforward as well. Anyone who's heard the term, again, that's an English speaker will recognize it as being a phrase that gets used to basically say, you know, just suck it up. Yes, it's going to suck. Yes, you're not going to enjoy it, but just bite the bullet and do it. You just got to get through it. You just got to focus, you know, that kind of thing. The origin of this, again, goes back to war times. So it's also, you know, a little on the darker side. But during war times, especially back, you know, like 1919 and World War One, World War Two, any of those early wars where we didn't have modern technology, there were a lot of situations where the anesthesia that the doctors had with them in their field medical tents and or if the field medics had with them, it was limited. They only had a certain supply, especially if you're out in the field and not in a medical tent in the, you know, safe zones towards the back, you're not going to have a lot of resources. You're not going to have as much anesthesia available to you. And so what would happen is they would run out. At the time, it was not uncommon for them to have their patient bite on something in order to try to distract them from the pain. Now, the first recorded written use of this phrase was in um, The Light That Failed in 1891. But in general, the idea behind this was that they would bite down on the bullet, which would be highly uncomfortable because your teeth are not meant to bite metal. And in doing so, it would help to distract them from the pain. Also, it would make it so that they could not yell as loudly because they were focused on biting on a bullet. Sometimes you'll also see in movies, you know, someone will put their belt between a person's teeth before they do something painful so that they can bite down on the leather, things like that. It's all the same idea, but this particular phrase, like I said, at least the first recorded written use of the phrase is the light that failed in 1891, and it was specifically looking at war times and the doctors there dealing with the situation. Um, so this one is a little historically uh, pertinent for us Americans. Bury the hatchet, or if you're over in England, bury the hatchet. So the definition of this particular idiom is to forget an offense and be reconciled, or basically to forgive and forget kind of thing. The origin for this one, at least the suspected origin, is um, that long ago when the Puritans were fighting with the Native Americans, the Native Americans had a tradition of burying their hatchets, clubs, and other weapons during peace negotiations, basically uh, showing that they meant no harm by burying their weapons and they wouldn't be able to easily access them, 
during the discussions. So it was a way to show like, I am truly coming peacefully. It's kind of like nowadays how people, you know, um, they'll lay down their weapons in movies and things symbolically, like actually put their weapons down and hold their hands up and come talk to each other. Or if you are part of any fantasy role-play groups or anything like that, you might have heard of peace tie. A peace tie is something that people will often do at Renaissance fairs in particular and other similar type of situations where essentially your weapon, whatever you're bringing for your costume, your weapon might actually be real. You might be carrying around a real sword, but what you'll do is you'll peace tie it. So you'll use some sort of ribbon or string or rope to tie your weapon in such a way as to where you can't actually unsheathe it. So you might be carrying a real sword, but you can't actually draw it and hit someone with it because the way it's tied to your belt, it doesn't come off. It won't come out of the sh of the sheath. So bury the hatchet is a similar idea. They buried their weapons so that it was proof that they had no negative intentions when coming to this meeting. Alrighty, so we're about halfway through the episode, you know... Uh, when we, when Russ and I manage to keep on time. Since it's just me, it's a little easier to not get distracted. So we're going to go to our mid-roll, and when we come back, I will talk to you about some more idioms and their origins. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's mid-roll. So just me again. You're not going to get Russ this time, unfortunately, but I want to talk about World Anvil. We talk about them every week because they're an amazing company, amazing sponsors. They're just really nice people, too. I can't say enough good things about them. I definitely recommend you check out worldanvil.com. For anyone who hasn't heard of World Anvil before, it is a campaign management and world-building software, and it's the most robust one we've ever found. And we've looked a lot when we were first starting things up for NerdSmith. So with World Anvil, there's a whole bunch of different features. There's amazing things you can do, linking characters, linking places, making a timeline for your world. You can make a map. And there you have two different setups for if you are a game master or if you're an author trying to flesh out the world for your audience. So you have different options on what you can do. You can sign up for free. And later, if you want some of their additional features that you have to pay for, you can sign up for a guild membership at that point. But I definitely recommend you check them out. That's worldanvil.com. Our other sponsor that I want to talk about, equally amazing people. They're so nice. I can't say enough good things about these two groups of people. Die Hard Dice. Now, dieharddice.com is the site you want to go to if you want to find amazingly beautiful and high-quality click-clack math rocks. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what I mean by that, Nerdsmith is very heavy into the click-clack math rocks. We have our very own click-clack math rock dragon, in fact, otherwise known as Tessa. <laughs> Uh, but I definitely recommend you check out dieharddice.com. They've got amazingly beautiful metal dice, amazingly gorgeous and all sorts of different colorways for their um, plastic dice as well. And I, I just can't say enough good things. They're so pretty. I have so many sets of dice. It's a little ridiculous, to be perfectly honest. But if you go to dieharddice.com, you can place an order and with our special code NERDSMITH, get a 10% discount off of your purchase when you go to checkout. And that doesn't matter if you're using it for the first time, the last time, you know, repeatedly, you can use that code and have that 10% savings. So definitely recommend you check them out. That's dieharddice.com. And with that, we're going to get back into this week's topic. Welcome back. So 
continuing on with our discussion of idioms. Now, just to be clear, also in case anyone's wondering, I'm not particularly pulling any of my favorite idioms or anything like that. I'm really just kind of grabbing a few that I think are interesting and have some interesting origins. So let it, let's start with, uh, you know, this is definitely one that I think is interesting. Butter him up. Now, this one in particular, I think is a weird one, if you don't know the origin behind it, because it means to flatter someone. But when you say butter him up, I mean, it almost looks, or not looks, almost sounds like, you know, you're buttering up a turkey or something, which usually only happens if you're going to eat it. So how does buttering him up mean you're flattering him? So one of the main suspected origin for this one is that it actually is from ancient India, where uh, certain religious acts involved the devotees throwing balls of butter at the statues of their gods and it was meant to ask for the gods forgiveness and favor now keep in mind ancient india we don't necessarily have tons and tons and tons of um what's the best way to say this tons and tons of resources like there, there is some, but we don't have as much as we would like. So it is possible that this has been slightly exaggerated in terms of its origin, especially considering most likely it was brought over by British soldiers who, and or, you know, imperialists who were taking over India at the time. So it may have been slightly exaggerated, but I do think it's an interesting idea, especially if it is accurate, because again, butter him up. That's just it doesn't make any sense. No one would expect that to mean that you're, you know, trying to be friendly to him from that phrase if they weren't familiar with the idiom already. So definitely a different one. And I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, let's see, moving on down the list. I have a big list. <laughs> this, this is another one that's kind of dark, but I do think it's interesting. Cat got your tongue. Now, I think most people, again, would recognize this one if they're English speakers. It basically means... Um, a question that you throw to a person and they just don't know what to say. So basically, cat got your tongue is something you ask someone who finds themselves speechless and they just, they can't think of what to say. Nothing's coming to mind. Now, I do think that this is one where if you didn't know ahead of time what this one meant, the instant, like my personal instant first thought would be that it had something to do with, you know, a cat actually taking someone's tongue in some way, maybe a cat clawing someone or yelling at them or something like that. In actuality, this is another one that has a slightly darker meaning. So one of, well, at least a suspected darker meaning, one of the possible sources is from the cat o' nine tails whip. Now this was a whip that was used in the English Navy back in the day for flogging or whipping their members if they did something wrong. So sometimes they would use it for, you know, punishing their prisoners. Sometimes they would use it for punishing their officers who had gone against the rules, things like that. But basically, as you can imagine, being whipped is very painful. And so the idea would be that as they were getting whipped, the pain was making it so they couldn't really talk. And they would then stay mute for an extended period of time because of the pain. Another possible origin is actually related to cats, and it goes back to possibly ancient Egypt, where people would cut out blasphemers' tongues and liars' tongues and feed them to the cats. 
Now, keep in mind, cats back then were worshipped very heavily, so this was also probably seen as a sacrifice to the gods in a certain way. Uh, the other thing is, too, of course, in England uh, also colonized Egypt, and by doing so, basically a, anywhere that was colonized by England, there is a very high chance that if you find a really, really, really weird idiom, it may have started from over there, like butter him up, cat got your tongue, white elephant is another one. Uh, white elephant originates from India, and this one I actually do know the origin. It's a little bit of a story, but also the origin is fairly well documented as this being where it came from. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with the term white elephant, it often gets used to refer to a white elephant gift party where, you know, people bring gifts that are kind of useless or kind of silly. And then, you know, people can steal gifts from each other and it goes back and forth. But the original meaning of the term white elephant refers specifically to something that is not particularly useful and often very expensive to upkeep. The reason for this, the origin for this, is in the ancient kingdom of Siam, which is modern-day Thailand, the Siamese king gave live white elephants to people he didn't like. Seemingly, this is a great gift. It's a beautiful white elephant. They're very rare and expensive. However, because they're white, they show all dirt. And so the idea behind it is that it was a very expensive gift for them to maintain and keep in good condition. Also, elephants eat a lot of food. The problem is the king gave it to you, so you can't really turn it down. You don't really have a choice. So basically, it was a negative gift, but something they still had to take. And so that is the term white elephant. It's something you have to take, but it's not really a great gift, and you're not super happy about it. But you don't really have a choice. And that's where that term comes from. And that's why that particularly strange gift exchange where everyone brings items that you don't actually want comes into play. Caught red-handed. This one's another interesting one. Now, it, once you know the origin, it's pretty straightforward. But basically, caught red-handed is to catch someone in the act of doing something wrong. The origin for this one, uh, again, this one's a little more documented, but it's basically an old English law stipulated that if you butchered another person's animals, you could be punished. Now, in particular, this would have been something that was used by lords and the... Um, royalty and nobility to punish the common people who poached, or at least what they considered poaching, on their lands. A good example of this would be, you know, if a lord considered a particular set of woods his land and his property, and one of the farmers nearby went and hunted on that land and killed a deer. Well, at this point, because the deer was on the land of the lord, by English law, that farmer killed an animal that belonged to someone else. And in doing so, they would then be found guilty and punished. And one of the ways they could be found guilty would be if they were caught with their hands stained red with the blood of the animal they had killed. So they were caught red-handed. Let's see, moving on. Ooh, this is one I think is fun. Flying off the handle to become suddenly enraged. So people, I, I hear people say this all the time, like, why are you flying off the handle? Why are you acting all crazy? So the phrase originates from sometime around the 1800s. Now at this time, axes and honestly other weapons and or tools were the same thing. You know, unless you had a really, really good craftsman, there's a probability that your weapons and axes and tools were not always made 
as solidly as they are now. And so in that situation, if someone's axe was being poorly maintained or poorly made, when they swung the axe, the axe head could literally fly off the handle. And that went for other things too, a shovel, a hammer, it didn't matter. If your tool wasn't in good condition and something happened and you swung it around too aggressively or it hit something too aggressively, you ran the risk of the part of the tool that could really cause damage to someone literally flying off the handle and hitting a person. So flying off the handle had to do with, you know, basically being too aggressive with your tool and things like that and the head coming off. Um, so the whole nine yards, a, a lot of these honestly relate back to war, which is a little depressing, but also kind of makes sense because during wars, you're dealing with large groups of people in confined situations, all talking to each other and starting to use the same slang. And that slang and those terms they were using then got carried over. So the whole nine yards is another one. It means you're giving your all, you're doing everything, you're going like all the way. Now, this originated from fighter pilots during World War II who were often sent up into the air with nine yards worth of ammunition. So when they gave their all in battle, that meant they ran out of their whole nine yards of ammunition. So that one makes sense. Again, sorry, I have a very long list. So I'm looking around. Da, da, da. Here we go. Let your hair down. Now, um, this one, again, pretty straightforward. You get home, you're relaxing, you're comfortable. You let your hair down. You're, you're not stressing. You're not being uptight. During, again, this is one of the supposed origins, but during medieval times in particular, and throughout history quite often, women in the aristocracy were required by the conventions of society to have their hair done up in very elegant, you know, complicated buns and or hairdos. And then when they arrived back home, that's when they would have been able to relax and literally let their hair down and no longer have to have it up in these complicated hairdos. So... It's a very, very straightforward one. Ooh, okay. So I've got two more that I'm going, well, actually three, three more that I'm going to say because I think they're all really interesting ones and because I know a little bit of the history behind all of these. So I think they're interesting. I'm oh, sorry, two more, two more. I meant, yeah, two more of them. Uh, no, three, because I like this one too. The first one is Mad as a Hatter, which most people have heard, they've heard of the Mad Hatter, and it means you're just, you're totally crazy and you make no sense. You're just absolutely bonkers. Now, it often gets, you know, reminds people of the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, but the reason he's called the Mad Hatter and the true origin of the phrase goes back even further to the 17th and 18th centuries, because in 17th century France, hat makers used mercury on their hats. Um, now, they, and they did it quite regularly. But what this did is it resulted in mercury poisoning. And mercury poisoning results in irritability, shyness, and tremors, all of which can remind someone of a person who's going mad. So it was called the Mad Hatter disease. So it's literally because at one point in history, people who made hats, hatters, made themselves crazy by poisoning themselves while doing their trade because we didn't know any different and they were using the mercury to get the effect they wanted. Now, of course, no one would ever, well, no one would knowingly do this because we know mercury is toxic and wouldn't want to be around it. But at the time they didn't. And so it was called Mad Hatter disease and it was something that was known to happen. 
Another one. So this one I actually mentioned a little bit earlier briefly. Red herring. A clue meant to mislead or distract someone. So during the 17th century, hunters would train their dogs to follow certain scents, to follow a correct scent. And one of the things they would often do is smoke a pungent fish that had a really strong smell to try to distract the dogs to get them to train them to focus on the scent they were being told to follow. So the red herring was a smoked red herring or some other type of very pungent fish that they were trying to use as a distraction while training their dogs to ignore other smells that they weren't trying to follow. Riding shotguns. I love this one. So riding shotgun, this is something people use all the time. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people, you know, planning on who's going to get in a car where, and someone says, I call shotgun. Now, this particular definition most people are aware of, but it means riding in the front seat of a vehicle, specifically the passenger front seat of a vehicle. Now, where this comes from is actually the Wild West, because during the Wild West times, if you were driving a coach, most often there were two men on the front of the coach while people were, you know, riding in the coach to whatever city they were going to. One would be actually driving the horses and making them, you know, keeping them on the path. And the second person would be sitting next to them with a shotgun ready to shoot at anyone who tried to rob them or attack them. So if you were riding shotgun on a stagecoach, you were literally sitting next to the driver ready to shoot somebody if they tried to injure you. And we still use the term today. We still say riding shotgun, which I think is really cool, especially at my father was obsessed with the wild west and gold rush era so i love all that kind of history i think it's really interesting to read up on and see the kinds of things that people did and went through during that time period especially the people who were willing to literally go thousands of miles away from home across the united states to settle in a completely new area just in the hope of having a better life i i definitely think it's interesting okay so i lied i'm gonna do four i'm gonna do one more one more idiom because I love this one and also because I think it really well I know not think it relates back to a previous topic that Russ and I covered so skeleton in the closet skeleton in the closet literally means someone has a secret or something that they should be embarrassed about and they're hiding it now the origin of this has to do with the 1832 anatomy act passed in the UK. For anyone who remembers some of our previous episodes, we talked about the grave robbers. Specifically, it was Burke and I'm blanking on the last other person's last name. Uh, hold on, let me double check my notes. Burke and Hare. That's right. This particular law, the Anatomy Act, was passed in 1832 because grave robbers had been supplying skeletons and great and bodies from graves in order to uh, make money and they'd been giving them to different medical schools for teaching purposes before the law was passed it was you weren't supposed to do it but if nobody found out everybody just kind of looked the other way however after the act was passed teachers would hide the skeletons that they weren't supposed to have inside of closets and other places because they didn't want to have them confiscated. Now, the problem is, I can see both sides of this, like in, in terms of what they were doing. The teachers were trying to hide these skeletons because you literally 
well, not literally, but at the time, they couldn't really easily make a fake skeleton. So they pretty much literally needed these human skeletons in order to show their students the different parts of the human body so that their students could then become better doctors. The problem is, especially during the that time frame, people were extremely religious. And for most people, the idea of donating your body to science was just absolutely appalling and just ridiculously not okay, culturally and religiously. It was completely not acceptable. People were horrified by the idea. So the unfortunately, the medical schools, therefore, got very, very few cadavers to work with in order to teach their students. That's one of the reasons why they were willing to pay so much and why the Anatomy Act ended up having to happen since grave robbers discovered this and took advantage of it and were using it to make money. Now, and in some cases, such as with Burke and Hare, people would go too far. They weren't just robbing graves. They would actually go kill people in order to take the freshest body possible back to the medical school. Not everyone went as far as Burke and Hare did, but there were some who did. And so it's understandable why the law was passed, because that's definitely not acceptable. But these teachers, some teachers more so than others, really just wanted to teach their students. For the most part, I'd like to think that some of these teachers didn't really suspect where the bodies were coming from or just didn't ask questions because they were so desperate to make sure their students knew what they were doing. But who knows? It's so long ago and there's no way for us to really verify. But with that, I think I'm going to call this episode good. So I hope you thought that this was interesting to learn about idioms, you know, obviously specifically the ones I talked about, and also their origins. But you can see where certain phrases and things that we say in day-to-day life, if you really stop and think about it, some of these things we say do not really make sense for what we've turned them into. You know, writing shotgun Nothing about a car, a passenger seat of a car, (laughs) relates to a shotgun in any way. You know, at least not unless you're carrying weapons in your car that you're not supposed to. And yet it's completely commonplace for someone, at least here in the U.S., to say, I claim, you know, I claim shotgun. I'm riding shotgun. And no one thinks anything of it. But not everyone thinks about where the origin of that may have come from. And now you know. So with that, I'm going to call this episode good. Hopefully Russ will be able to join me for our next episode. But if not, I will try to bring you another interesting solo episode, possibly animal related. Um, (laughs) Now that I'm working at a cat and dog hospital, I definitely know a little more information about dogs. So maybe I'll do an episode on them. And with that, I'll call this episode good. And we will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself.